Podcast world, do we have something special today? The one and only Uncle Ted, Ted Nugent. I mean, I could call you the Motor City Madman. Do you still go by that, Ted Nugent? You can call me anything you want, Chad. As long as I'm your blood brother, we share backstraps. That's all that matters. <laughs> when was the last time you ate some backstrap? This morning. You had it with eggs? Yeah, no, not this morning. I didn't do the uh, huevos ranchero backstrapia. Um, you know, I'm 73 this year, and I don't think I've had a year. Maybe I was weaned by the year of 1949, but that's what we eat. We eat venison. We eat ducks. We eat pheasants and doves and quail. We eat woodchucks. We eat moose. We like real organic. I was organic before there was a Whole Foods. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's crazy to think back like if you watch videos of you back in the day rocking the guitar and you've been playing the guitar since the 60s as a professional and singing were you doing this lifestyle back then did you believe in living off the land all the way back in the 60s when you had the long hair and you were ripping guitars and living the rock and roll lifestyle chad baby i was born in detroit 1948 my dad was already a follower of fred bear my dad was deep into the mystical flight of the arrow. It was an annual jaunt. I've written books about this and thousands of articles and done tens of thousands of interviews celebrating that I was born when Chuck Berry showed us what to do with the brand new Les Paul electrified guitar. And at the same time that Fred Bear reinvigorated the mystical close range stealth demands of bow hunting. So not only that, but when I was born in Detroit in 1948, it was still considered the arsenal of democracy. And by the way, Chad, right here today, I'm in the man cave, Ted Nugent Arsenal, ammo dump, cuckoo's nest. And wherever I show up, it turns into the arsenal of democracy. Write that down. <laughs> and talk to me about the interview I just saw with Jason Whitlock. This is pretty cool that he is all, he's advocating hunting. He like He's kind of like coming over to the other side. You've watched him on Pardon the Interruption, sports and sports. You know, he's a he's a sportscaster and a color commentator, what have you. But he, it's like Uncle Ted's got him believing in the hunting culture and lifestyle. And maybe he did a little bit before, but now do you feel that he really does? Well, there's no question. I mean, I, I didn't know about Jason Whitlock because I'm not a spectator sport guy. In fact, I'm not a spectator anything. I don't watch stuff happen. I do stuff. And I've been doing that my whole life. So I've always understood the spiritual side of resource stewardship and hands-on conservation, genuflecting at the altar on an annual basis of God's miraculous renewable creation and how venison is the reverence for his renewable creation. So that's an instinct, and it was taught to me in a hunting upbringing from birth in Detroit. I say Detroit, I was right next to the Rouge River, so it was a wildlife paradise, and I had quail and pheasants and muskrats and beavers and mallards. It was, it was literally a, 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 a calling equal to the guitar playing. But what I witnessed from Jason Whitlock and all my sons and daughters and my band and my crew, everybody in my life loves the NBA and loves the football and the baseball stuff. And I got a lot of friends in those incredibly athletic sports worlds. Uh, Kurt Gibson is a dear friend, dear hunting buddy of mine, but I've never watched games. I mean, I, I rock and roll and then I hunt. And then I write books and I do interviews celebrating rock and roll and conservation. And so when I witnessed Jason Whitlock on Tucker Carlson over the last couple of years, 
um, he sounded sensible. He sounded tuned in to understanding why we're having a cultural suicide because of the distancing from God, distancing from the great spirit in the aboriginal terms. So when I saw him recently on Glenn Beck, he was sharing with Glenn Beck. And again, this is important, Chad, because he's, he's sharing it to millions and millions of non-hunters. And that's what I've always done. You guys already get it. Everybody at the SHOT Show, they already get it. So I do MTV and VH1 and CMT and I do the BBC and I do all the networks. I go into the enemy's camp promoting hunting and Second Amendment rights. But what instinctively came out of an already respected, intelligent and absolute, unmovable, fearless man like Jason Whitlock was sharing with Glenn Beck's multi-million audience that his buddy Sean explained why he loved hunting. And Jason goes, well, I'm not a hunter, but I listened to Sean. And he was talking about the spirituality. He was talking about the soul cleansing, things you and I take for granted. Uh, things that the sporting world already gets in the duck blind or in the deer blind or planting a food plot or gutting a moose. We know that this is a miraculous creation. But Jason Whitlock, from outside the sport of hunting and conservation, he immediately grasped what you and I would have said. And here it's coming from a respected sportscaster who also gets out on the politically incorrect limb in the culture war about God, family, country, individual accountability, law and order, respecting your family and being a family. So I immediately got my team to track down J Jason Whitlock. And I said, Jason, your instinct and your intellect collided to articulate what hunting families have always celebrated. So you not only get to talk about it, I'm going to introduce you to the spirit of the wild and where your protein comes from, where your quality air, soil, and water comes from, wildlife habitat, thanks to Ducks Unlimited and Delta Waterfowl and National Turkey and Rocky Mountain Elk and Pheasant Forever. Well, he, and he was clueless about this, this scientific movement in the conservation community forever. But he immediately grasped it and he immediately went out to help promote it. So my interview with him was an example of, yes, preaching to the choir is important because there's a, a few members of our choir that could use a little preaching too. But the non-hunting public needs to know that eating venison is the definitive reverence for wildlife, valued hands-on utility. That's why it's meat. That's why the skins make clothing and shelter and the bones and makes tools and weapons, but mostly the spirit to be accountable as a reasoning predator. And a great man respected like Jason Whitlock, the light bulbs were going off like the 4th of July. So we have a real ally and he's coming to the Nugent Ranch this winter and we're gonna get us some straps over the coals, baby. How awesome is that? Ken, I want to, what I, I've been quoted as saying this in the last couple of years. Um, I learned it through a mutual friend of ours. Maybe I don't know if you've met the great Remy Warren. He's a great, a great voice of our lifestyle. Um, hunting is a privilege. It's not written into our declaration that we have the right to hunt. We have the right to bear arms through our second amendment. We fight for that every day. You, you are a life member of the NRA, a board of directors of the national rifle association, 
But what does it mean, Mr. Ted Nugent, Uncle Ted, what does it mean that this is a privilege and that we are not entitled as Americans or worldwide hunters to wake up and put our boots on the dirt and go out and respectively harvest an animal for the bounty? And it could be revoked at any time. And it's so important to have people obviously besides yourself, because you've been the biggest voice for all of us forever. But now Jason Whitlock's of the world. How important is this to understand that this can be revoked at any time if we're not careful? Chad, do you really grasp how much I love you? I mean, can you feel it over this technology, how I love and respect you? Yes. And how old are you? I'm 46. I know you respect your elders because I'm going to give you a little nugentification here. Be very careful. I think you are dead wrong. I don't think there, I don't need the constitution to know that I can defend myself. Our founding fathers wrote it down because the king didn't allow it up till that moment. But there are instinctual, pure, natural rights. If, if ever there was a pure, natural, God-given right, it even quotes it in the Bible, take thy quiver and thy bow and get me some venison. All moving things shall be meat for you. So even if you refer to the Bible, but I don't even have, with all due respect, I don't even have to refer to that. My brain, my heart, my pure natural instinct says, I have the right to keep and bear arms to defend my life and my family. I don't need anybody else's authorization. Equally, I don't need anybody to tell me, well, you know, Ted, uh, you can't hunt deer on Sundays. Well, who the hell are you? You can't hunt deer in these parks. We're going to take your tax dollars and hire a USDA to... I want you to write it down and I want you to get on your knees every night and go, hunting, fishing, and trapping is as pure of a natural right as breath itself. And that right was executed in a scientific regulated manner to stop the unregulated marketing slaughter, which was natural back then. They needed buffalo meat and they needed skins and their manifest destiny. And they put punt guns out in the, 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 the marshes when the wood ducks were roosted. But, but then they started running out of them and sportsmen referred to their natural instinct. No, 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 no. You can't slaughter this stuff year round. We've got to be respectful to the nucleus breeding population and only harvest the surplus. That was man that stepped in because the instinct that that duck is my duck. That deer is my deer. And I am confident, you may have noticed this, that I am responsible enough to only harvest the surplus. That's why there's more deer, more turkey, more cougars, more bears uh, than ever in recorded history. And the duck populations are thriving because it's our natural right, not just to hunt these creatures, but to manage them via hunting for eternal productivity. So I don't agree at all that hunting is a privilege. I'd like to, maybe you can introduce me to the man who gives me the right to hunt. The man has never been born. God gave me that right. I not only have a right to hunt, I have a moral, intellectual, and spiritual obligation to do so to balance those populations so there's room for next year ducklings and fawns and cubs and calves. That's, even guitar players can figure this stuff out, especially when you've been doing it as long as I have. 
The worst thing for wildlife is to stop hunting. The, the worst thing for that body of water is to stop fishing. You know what happens. They're going to produce, but the habitat's not going to expand. So, and, and here's the tragedy. What I just said, it's not an opinion. It's not a hunch. This, this is as raw a primal natural science that has ever existed. And not a word I just shared with you has ever been uttered in a school in America, which is why we have problems. So hunting is not a privilege. There's, there's no man that can give me such a privilege. No man can give me the privilege to defend myself. Nobody can give me the privilege to build a home. Nobody can give me a privilege to farm my land. Those are natural, instinctive, we the people, freedom-based rights from God. And we need to do it in a responsible manner. And that's what we do. Responsible manner comes in a lot of forms, in my opinion, Ted, on as a hunter and the responsibility that we take on. Just to, to tell the audience, please, Ted, why hunters are considered or maybe not even considered is the right word, the ultimate conservationist. We kill animals. We take them out of the ecosystem. But what do we do to gather that term of being the ultimate conservationist because we are the ones sending the arrows downrange. We are the ones pulling the triggers. We are the ones taking the backstraps out of the deer and feeding it to our friends and family and the needy and the homeless and this and that. And during the pandemic, I saw it more than ever. Where'd you get that turkey meat? Where'd you get that deer meat? Oh, sure. You can have some. Oh, sure. You can have some. Why are we the ultimate conservationist? And what does that mean? And how did we get that term? Well, I think, you know, I'm not a, a, an avid reader. I'm an avid writer. Um, and I suppose I could quote most of the Webster's Dictionary. Uh, but the term conservation literally translates as wise use, responsible use. You, to conserve timber is to cut trees down to sell wood and build homes and to replant more than you cut. Now, I was never taught that, but I was taught accountability and I was taught chores in, in being an asset to my family growing up in Detroit. And again, I say Detroit right across the Rouge River wildlife skunk hollow paradise, which I spent almost all my waking hours. And plus we'd go north every year to squirrel hunt and to, to uh, uh, deer hunt. So I, I, I learned boots on the ground because you're sure as heck not going to learn any of this stuff in school. And since I started fighting for these scientific truisms, sustained yield, annual harvest based on population dynamics and winter severity index, all the, all the simple science that, again, even guitar players can figure out. I found myself constantly being attacked in the music and the rock and roll media for murdering innocent animals. And I'd go, so murder? So you think I murdered that deer? Maybe you want to explain to the mother of the murdered child how my venison is equal to her dead child. What do you mean murder? I'm harvesting the annual surplus. It's as pure as life itself. So I found myself standing up for this stuff. And let me, let me make sure I drive home to you and everybody watching and listening right now. We are in a culture war against all the good stuff. When we talk God, family, country, freedom, law and order, the government, the media, academia, big tech, Hollywood, they hate family. They hate country. They hate God. They hate law and order. 
They hate, certainly they hate people who are independent and can take care of themselves, especially when it comes to self-defense and the Second Amendment. But let me tell you, whether it's the sushi bar or the Starbucks in Valley Mills, California, Valley Mills, Mill Valley, California, where you think it would be all anti-hunting and hippie stuff, people come up to me everywhere I go. At the Whole Foods, some guy's got piercing tattoos and got purple hair. Hey, Uncle Ted, can you get me some venison, man? I'm sick and tired of this beef. <laughs> I mean, the lunatic fringe has somehow convinced somebody that hunters just slaughter stuff. The vast majority of people in the world, when I tour Europe and, and Ireland and Scotland, people love the hunting. They love the venison. They love what Uncle Tim and I whack them and stack them. They all watch Spirit of the Wild TV, non-hunters and just rock and roll fans. And they get it. You have to literally eat, eat LSD by the shovel full to pretend that sustained yield wildlife management hasn't or won't work. So the truism that wise use, it explodes on Thanksgiving. We're giving thanks for the responsibility and occasional success at harvesting the surplus to feed our families and our friends and certainly soup kitchens all across the land. So I think, Chad, and again, I know that everybody knows what I am and what I stand for. So some anti-hunter sure as hell ain't going to come up to me. <laughs> I wish they would. They did one time and I arrested them. Swear to God, it's a great story. But anyhow... Uh, <laughs> Uh, people come up to me to celebrate, but but a lot of people, non-hunting people, just rock and roll guys. Hey, Uncle Ted, I love the bow and arrow, man. Where should, what kind of bow should I get? I get it every day. So what you and I live with the sporting, hunting, fishing, trapping, conservation families of America and the world, what we live is supported by the vast majority of people around the world. There's only a lunatic fringe that think Joe Biden could be the leader of anything. There's only a lunatic fringe that thinks that, uh, I don't know, that David Letterman makes sense. Uh, there, it's a lunatic fringe that thinks that there's a Bambi that would be so soulless and disrespectful to reduce living, breathing, sacred flesh and blood wildlife to the level of a cartoon. That's such a lunatic fringe that I'm glad they exist because they make such idiots of themselves that conscientious smart people go, well, Nugent doesn't shoot cartoons. He actually kills deer. And I'm glad he does because Aunt Edna had one go through the windshield of her Buick last year. And I wish he'd kill more of them. So, so what you and I know to be self-evident truth, it's not universal because we've dumbed down the world. A lot of dummies out there. Obviously, if these people are in the White House, there's got to be somebody really stupid. But the vast majority of people in my, and I'm a gregarious guy, I'm a friendly guy, I like to hang out with people when I'm pumping gas. I swear to God, Chad, for the last 50 years, I have never pumped gas without someone coming up to me to talk about hunting and guns. It's, what, a, what a great indicator. What a great indicator that is. And I mean, of every imaginable walk of life, you know, a, a black couple with a little black baby in a stroller, a pierced nippled guy with purple hair, um, an old farmer, you know, with a cowboy hat. I mean, I, I connect with humanity. 
And it's because I've always been outspoken, otherwise known as a big mouth, which I think the founding fathers wanted all of us to be, to stand up loud and proud. We're in trouble with the culture war today because not enough sensible people stood up and pushed back against political correctness and the cancel culture and the numb nuts on the left. So be very careful <coughs> that you give much credence at all to the anti-hunting goofballs out there. Now, they, they do have sway because they have the media. They have a bunch of corrupt politicians. They have Hollywood, which has a, un, a totally, I don't understand the power they have, but they do. And they can project these lies and, and nasty hate towards real conservationists. And they can do it effectively because they sneak it into movies and cartoons and sneak it in the media. My, my God, the media, a bunch of clueless goofballs, the things they say. So continue to stand strong, but that means we have to speak out more. That's why we have Hunter Nation. I hope people will go to HunterNation.org and see that we're putting boots on the ground so that we get people that do support us to stand up and vote with us. You mentioned Hollywood there. I have a quick comment about Hollywood that I've never understood. And tell me how Liam Neeson or Sean Penn can stand up in gun control and anti-gun, but then have a movie called The Gun Man, and then every Liam Neeson Great movie, movie he has, and every Liam Neeson movie he has, he's killing people with a gun to save his kidnapped daughter or whatever. How does this? You you kind of got you didn't get confused, but you're like I don't even know how they do it in Hollywood or whatever you said. It's like. How do they do that and get away with actually being a voice for anti-gun when they make their living showcasing guns and gun violence, as a matter of fact? Be very careful, my friend. You, you sound like you're pursuing logic to figure out something that is bizarre and illogical. There is no real answer, except I'm going to tell you a general answer that is very accurate because I know these people. I've hung out with these people, and I went to Studio 54 with, with Mick Jagger and Keith Richards, and, and <laughs> I hang out with these people. They're stoned. They don't have logic in their life. Fantasy feel-good stuff is clinged maniacally. They cling to it because it feels good. Well, I didn't kill anything. Well, I got news for you. That glass of wine, the guy that owns that vineyard killed everything that dared to enter the vineyard. Each grape, there's a dead coon, possum, skunk, coyote, fox, bird, owl, gopher, snake, turtle. They kill everything that messes with the grapes for your wine, raising money for an animal rights organization. So I'm able to get these points across, but that my point is, there is no logic in the anti-hunting world. It's a scam. They've got enough dumb people, and Sean Penn is an amazing actor. I mean, I watched The Gunman. It was, boy, he, he obviously had some training like Keanu Reeves. Those guys can handle those guns. Those are often. But you're right. How do you make a living with this apparatus and then condemn the existence of the apparatus that built your four homes and bought your yacht? And I'll tell you how. They're stoned. They're absolutely brain dead. All they do is get high. I don't know how they function. I mean, I'm always, I've always been militant for clean and sober. And I give examples of how I told Jimi Hendrix he was going to die. And I told Keith Moon he was going to die. And, and Bon Scott, I said, you're going to die. And John Belushi, I said, I don't want your coke. You're going to die. But then there's Keith Richards. <laughs> I told him he was going to die and he hasn't yet. <laughs> 
So, so my point is, is that if you try to use logic to figure out asinine assumptions, you're wasting your time. The name of the game is to communicate with people who are sensible and reasonable, and they will support the harvest of the surplus ducks to make room for the ducklings as we minimize waterfowl habitat that is not good for just target ducks so we can shoot them, but that's where quality air, soil, and water comes from for all living things. And when you see a duck hunter, all I want you to say is thank you for cleaning my air, soil, and water with wildlife habitat, you know, upgrade. So, and again, the culture war is so weird that the other side, everything they stand for, I don't know if you've seen my so-called debates. They're really not debates. I'm just, I trample the weak and hurdle the dead. They're so stupid to debate me about hunting and guns. I mean, it's like I was arm wrestling a torso. Um, I have found I have found that the other side is just weird. Well, you're just not a real man. You're you're just a high power bow and arrow, and you kill the innocent animals. What are you talking about? Before I try to answer, I guess that was a question. But before I even try to respond, could you elaborate more? Because I think you're making my point for me. Because everybody listening right now eats dead stuff. They all eat dead stuff. And the people responsible for the most death are the vegans because the farmers got to dismember and, and disc and plow and, and Monsanto chemical warfare every bean so you can have a salad. Tell me you know this. <laughs> <laughs> Too easy. <laughs> so when you, when you start going down that route of conservation and then you get to herd management or wildlife management and this is a big part of hunting and the responsibility okay the, i don't know if there's never been a more um, managerial time in the history of the outdoors with the way that that we can manage our herds now and the way that we can farm for wildlife you were just involved in something that happened in florida uncle ted this was not wildlife management this was not done by a hunter this sure. was a poaching incident that was arrows shot into the belly regions of fawn deer tell me what happened and how how did you get involved in something like this because and tell me if i'm wrong mr ted nugent hunters are going to be the first one that people look at when something like this goes down and that couldn't be further from the truth sure and again you know i've always been on the front lines of promoting and celebrating i never defend hunting there's nothing to defend it's perfect I've been able to articulate that and project that forever, even in the enemy's camp on CNN and MTV and VH1. And whenever I articulate sustained yield, habitat carrying capacity, the annual harvest, that venison is better than beef, and it, though I love the beef farmers out there, they're my heroes, love a good marbled ribeye. Um, but, but when I articulate what it is that we do, um, I've always found that it galvanizes my fellow sportsmen, no matter where I am, New Jersey, New York, California, Ireland, they all come out of the woodwork to hang out with Uncle Ted. And so I have a network globally over the years that when something nasty happens that might be misrepresented by a misrepresenting masters of the media that an arrow through a fawn in a park must be some mean bow hunter you know, intentionally traumatizing the helpless animal. I'm, I'm contacted immediately and I immediately reach out to the game department and to the media. And here's another uh, a very uh, rewarding update. 
When I speak to the people on the ground where the fawn was shot with a crossbow bolt, and you can see in the, the photo, it's a, it's a target point. That wasn't a hunter. There's no, the season's not on. It's not a hunter. I guarantee the guy didn't have a hunting license. Not only that, but it's a no hunting park, which I'm trying to fix. But I found that three or four ladies who were really distraught, as they should be, at the image of a young deer with a, a, a crossbow bolt through the belly that ended up dying, None of them were hunters that were raising cane about it, but they all on their own said, we know it's not hunters doing it. These are vandals. Hallelujah. Of course they're vandals. And, and who offers the best reward to find information to convict these vandals? The whack master, the hunting guy, the globally loudmouth promoter of bow hunting and archery and venison because they know it's not us. Now, some animal rights freak in a scam to raise funds to stop the cruel sport of bow hunting, which they've been doing forever. It, it takes really feeble, ignorant, disconnected, just really stupid people to not realize that that's a target bolt in a no hunting area during the non-season at an illegal animal. And who passed those laws? The government didn't pass those laws. Hunters stepped in and stopped the marketing slaughter, and we regulated and we charged ourselves massive amounts of taxes and monies to finance game departments to stop that kind of vandalism. So I was able to convey that in the major media down in Florida in this recent episode. And I've been doing that. I did it in Scott County Park in uh, Iowa, uh, the Brown County Park in Indiana. The same crap was going on. And I was, I was able to train people around the world. Go to the community meeting, call the media and articulate that this is not bow hunting. This is not how you do that. Uh, talking about being a reasoning predator, a conscientious, thoughtful predator that that pursues a samurai excellence with our weapons so that we kill cleanly and humanely, much less harmful than an eagle or a cougar. The, the, those, those wild animal predators, they don't care if they wound a fawn or a calf. They just want to go crazy and hopefully bleed to death so they can eventually eat it alive. We don't do that. We have a conscience. We have a soul. And I've been able to convey that. And I just, again, I hope everybody watching, when the hunting world, when our families see this kind of stuff, don't go, hey, Martha, look at this. That's terrible. Call your game department. Chime in. Let them hear your voice as a dedicated hunter that you want to get to the bottom of this vandalism. It's not even really poaching because it has nothing to do with it. It's not like he's hunting deer out of season. They're just vandals. And we should stop all poaching and all vandals. But there's a lot of game laws out there, Chad, that are so wrong and, and punitive and arbitrary. For example, a lot of my hunting friends, and I'll bet you yours too, don't know that there's eight states where the government says you can't hunt on Sunday during the hunting season. Well, that's that's insane. That's that's so un-American. I I'm stressed to find something more un-American than that. So we're these these are the kind of things we're fighting against to to maximize the opportunities to maximize the family hours of recreation and the attraction to participate. Because as you've seen during the Chinese virus attack, more and more people are going fishing and hunting because their instinct tells them get outdoors. It will cleanse the soul. And that's what's happening. So we're taking advantage of this at HunterNation.org.
HunterNation.org stands up for several behind-the-scenes advocacy, and they're fighting for hunters' rights, from veterans in Montana to hunting yep. on Sundays. One of the big things that um, affect my side of the, the country, I live out here in Nevada, Tahoe, California area, you're not allowed to hunt mountain lions in the state of California. Not just you can't run you can't run bears with hounds anymore, Uncle Ted. You can still bear hunt in certain areas of California, but you cannot 100% not hunt wild mountain lion or cougars in the state of California, where there's probably more cougars in California than Montana. I mean, there's thousands of them. They're out of control, and what's going on is that they're being harvested still. But they're not being harvested by hunters or hunting means or, or ethical means, but they're still being harvested because they're destroying the sheep and the cattle and the livestock of ranchers all across the state. What are your views on the, uh, the law forbidding cougar hunting in the state of California? I've been on top of that since the very beginning in 1972. In fact, I know the uh, gaggle of the greatest houndsmen in the state of California. I hunted bears with hounds in California right up to the year they ended it. But here's the thing. So they stopped mountain lion hunting in California. They stopped using hounds and bait in California. But the government still takes our tax dollars and uses hounds and bait and hunts the animals, except the animal doesn't bring in license fees, permits, doesn't bring in taxidermists, fuel, lodging, restaurants, groceries, ice, beer, trinkets. I mean, the money that a cougar would bring in in the asset column versus what the government jackbooted punks do, they're still killing them, but now they bury them in a hole in the ground and they only after they've caught them three times and then our tax dollars goes to the guy with hounds to kill the lions and the bears and nobody gets meat, nobody gets a rug, nobody gets a skull, nobody gets to spend money for conservation programs. They bury these magnificent beasts in a hole in the ground. That is pure evil. And by the way, Chad, it's not just California numbnuts. Colorado, you can't use hounds or bait or spring hunting in Colorado. I know the USDA hunters. And they're the greatest hunters in the world. They're the last of the Jeremiah Johnson, Natty Bumpo, Daniel Boone, Davy Crockett. But they get paid to, to kill these lions and bears year-round using hounds and bait. And then they bury them in a hole in the ground. And then our tax dollars not only pay for all of that, but then our tax dollars pay for the guy operating the, the backhoe and pay to, to replace the llamas and the alpacas and the goats and the sheep and the cattle and the foals. It's all damage control instead of quality control. It's insanity. And I'll tell you why. Hunter Nation was formed because we bought the list of every licensed hunter in North America. And we cross-referenced that list of licensed hunters in America to the voting registration in America. Chad, these atrocities took place against hunting ethics by government jerks because hunters don't vote. 66% of licensed hunters in Texas are not even registered to vote, Chad. Michigan, 
they, they'll squawk and bitch, then they don't do anything. So we, we started to rectify that in 2016, and you saw those results. Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, the top three states. Texas is still number one, and we're focusing on that now. But just by focusing on the top three hunting states, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, we woke up these apathetic hunters and went, man, you guys are getting tickets for not having their bow in a case? What role does a bow case play in wildlife conservation? And you can't hunt on Sundays, but you only got weekends to hunt? And you're quitting? And you're not voting to get Sundays open? Get with Hunter Nation. We galvanized these people. We got a half a million, 500,000 hunters to register and vote. We don't tell them who to vote for, but when you say God, family, country, freedom, gun rights, property rights, law and order, hunting rights. We vet these candidates and we can't tell somebody who to vote for, but we watched who they voted for in 2016 say hallelujah. On that same subject, is there any chance that he might get back in that house in the next couple of weeks? Well, I don't have a crystal ball. I shot that last year. Um, <laughs> The three and a half inch magnum triple out buck. Anyhow, uh, we can pray, but more than pray, when you pray to God, you really have to do what he directs you to do. And our instincts would tell us to hammer our mayors, our senators, our congressmen, our governors. I mean, weekly, if you're not calling your elected employees weekly, they're laughing at you. The enemies of hunting, the enemies of freedom, the gun grabbers, they laugh at conservatives that don't vote and don't harass their their mayor, senator, congress, and governor. There's not a politician on planet Earth that doesn't know what I stand for. And I, I look at it this way. I'm going to hunt and rock and roll in all 50 states. So guess who those mayors and senators and congressmen and governors work for? They work for me. And, and this sounds cocky. It's, it's an art form. <laughs> but But that's what every American should do, especially hunters. If you're not raising hell, you don't matter. Makes perfect sense. I had I was in Fort Worth last week, Mr. Ted Nugent, and I had a person walk up to me um, at the Texas Trophy Hunters Association. It's a hunting show. Hunters are like-minded people. Yep. But the question was asked to me if I support hunting wild hogs out of helicopter means. And I want to finish before you answer this because – if it's legal and it's ethical and it's done right with compassion for the animal, that's how hunters go out and chase our harvest and, and put the bounty on the table. Why is hog hunting and, and population control and management of the wild hog, which I'm talking Florida, Texas, Louisiana, the states that it's really re re wreaking havoc on, is it okay to shoot them with an AR out of a moving flying helicopter uncle ted and if it is okay is it ethical and why is it boy you're asking the right guy um i'm i'm in the eye of the storm i've lived in the eye of the storm since about 1964 i was on a hog hunt where there was gazillions of dollars of agriculture destruction taking place up by albany uh northwest of uh, dallas and the ranchers and farmers were livid they couldn't keep up with the hogs they were proposing a law to poison them. So a helicopter operator got a hold of me and said, would you call, I can fly up there. I, you can't, I can't charge you because it's against the law. Only government shooters can shoot them out of a helicopter and pay the helicopter. I went, 
Are we still in Texas? Did I end up in New Jersey? Did a bad turn? I go, what do you mean I can't pay you to take me up in a helicopter? I know the fuel is going to cost you five grand. I know you have to get a license. You went to great extent. I know the helicopter was expensive and you got to kill thousands of hogs. What are you going to, I can't do with my bow and arrow. So not only is it ethical, the alternative would have been disastrous because who doesn't know if you poison an area with hog bait, what, what else is going to eat that bait? Much less the, sh- the flesh of the poisoned hog. Would a bald eagle come down and eat that flesh and die? So I fought against the bureaucrats in Texas. I called then Governor Perry and then Attorney General Greg Abbott. And I went, guys, I'm in Texas. And this guy said he's not allowed to sell helicopter hunts when the ranchers are begging to shoot hogs. So not only is it ethical, but I'm like Mother Teresa with an M4 out of a whirly bird. We created hunt. We, we created hogs for a cause charity. And we go up in helicopters. And Chad, you want sport. Now, it's not the same as, you know, sneaking up on an antelope with a bow and arrow. That's almost impossible. But if you want sport, you try to hit a running hog. First of all, they got to die. You got to, you can't keep up with the uh, swine's reproductive. I mean, they must listen to my music. That's all they do is breed. Um, My point (laughs) is, is that Yes, it's absolutely ethical. It's absolutely sporting. The only people who claim it's not sporting are people that have never done it. It's intense. You're strapped in a chopper, and these hogs are running helter-skelter. Good luck! I use I use a machine gun because I like machine guns. I usually use semi-auto because it's one shot, one kill. But if you got that lever, how dare you not use it once in a while? So the point is, is that we finally have a system. We created an entire industry— that's ethical. We eliminate agriculture and ecology, destroying overpopulation of pigs. That's ethical. We get families to come out. We actually donate hunts. They're very expensive because of the fuel and the, the cost of the equipment. So yes, it's ethical. Yes, it's fun. Yes, it's effective. And more important than any of that, it's absolutely necessary. Now, let me take a little turn here for you. Well, that's not fair. Anybody could kill a hog from a, machine, from a helicopter with a machine gun. All right. Then is it unfair to have a duct work on your Arkansas farm where you plant sorghum and some rice, and then just before the season, you flood it and you use material? ridiculously hand-carved decoys, and you work on that that symphony at the... You have become the greatest duck caller in the world, and you got a string, you move the duck so it looks like they're feeding, and you got a blind that's completely covered up, and you got camo and your face painted, you got a state-of-the-art shotgun where the wad causes the ultimate shot pattern... Come on, that's all sporting. That's all awesome. You need to kill some ducks because the habitat is finite and they're going to have young ducks next year. Where are they going to go if you don't harvest the surplus to make room for next year's productivity? So we have to be very careful as sportsmen that this is, well, anybody can do that. Well, high fence hunting isn't hunting. Really? Share with us the last high fence uh, scimitar horned oryx hunt you went on. Oh, you've never been on one. Then here's a good idea. Shut the...
So so I would say you're right. If it's legal and it's there's a challenge and the animals have their world to escape in and you have to strategize and you have to dedicate yourself. You have to become proficient with your bow and your gun and your shotgun and your pistol. And you got to get up early. You got to know the wildlife habit. You got to dedicate yourself. Perfect. I think it's all perfect. I think a trajectory compensating scope on my my uh, G, uh, GA Precision 308, if it's within a thousand yards, it's dead. But it takes trigger squeeze. It takes psych acquisition. It takes breathing control. It takes a samurai zen oneness with the moment of ignition where those crosshairs stop moving and you can, you've practiced enough where you can hit, it's all sport, it's all fun, it's all ethical, and again, more, more important than any of that, it's all essential. Those ducks gotta die, those elk gotta die, the moose gotta die, the bears gotta die, the cougars gotta die, the squirrels gotta die. We kill them and we eat them. It's perfect. There's one animal you, well, there's several you didn't mention, but there's one that we would probably both agree on that should be left alone and that even hunters should not, try to manage the wolf population. Do you agree with this, Ted Nugent? No. <laughs> I think my favorite wolf, my favorite wolf is a dead wolf. Dead now, wolf. Let, let me clarify. My favorite deer is a dead deer because then I can turn it into family-sized portions, but it should represent that it's coming from a thriving population that has been properly managed to produce a surplus for the annual harvest so it has value so you can pay game departments most of which need to be revised so that the the wolf the cougar the bear the ducks the geese the pheasant the turkey they, it all has to live within the confines of finite habitat and when the wolf kills deer year round without buying license or having a bag limit that wolf is no longer an asset it's now a liability i revere the mighty wolf. What an amazing creature. I've hunted wolves in Canada and Alaska and Wisconsin had their first wolf hunt and finally they've got some fawn survival. Michigan and Minnesota has to have wolf hunts so they have some fawn survival because the nucleus finances for wildlife conservation and game agencies comes from license and fees and permits. And if there's a predator species that doesn't invest in those game departments, it has to be managed too. So it doesn't deplete those resources, deer, elk, moose, turkey, whatever, so that there's a balance for wolves and coyotes as if we can ever balance coyotes. I mean, I love coyotes, but they have to be harvested so that they are in a balanced strata of all wildlife. If you just let the wolves go, you're gonna lose hunting licenses, you're gonna lose hunting dollars, you're gonna lose the entire hunting region economy because the wolf's not gonna support it. We wanna see wolves. I think Michigan should have like 20 wolves. I think Wisconsin, you know, you know, I suppose I could listen to a wolf specialist though they got us in this predicament so maybe I shouldn't listen to them. I, I would like there to be wolves where wolves have proper habitat, but there also should be an annual season on them so we keep them within the balance of the other wildlife. You just, you can't, for example, pheasants have vanished. Pheasant and quail have vanished from the once pheasant quail heaven of southern Michigan. 
There's a hawk or an owl or an osprey or an eagle on every fence post. They protected these avian predators to the point where there's no small game. Well, am I advocating hunting birds of prey? Yeah, I am. Yeah, I think they should be balanced too. So we have some rabbits. What a great introductory animal for a young hunter. Rabbit hunt, we all started that way. The pheasants, I used to be able to go pheasant hunting in Michigan, southern Michigan. There was a pheasant down every fence row. I haven't seen one in 30 years except on my fen, a very unique wetland. On my fen, I kill so many deer and so many varmints every year. I can't kill hawks and owls. But I kill so many coons, possums, skunks, cats, dogs, uh, coyotes, um, uh, every snakes, turtles, snapping turtles, they eat enough duck eggs. So when I wage war on the predators, now I've got pheasants on my swamp and my farm in Michigan. But it's almost impossible. If you don't wage war on the predators, you'll never have small game. When being the... In the description of Ted Nugent, it says the word activist. You are probably the biggest voice in the history of celebrity to speak this message of hunting, the outdoors, conservation, ecosystem, everything that you preach for so many years. It's so important to have that. You went on Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan's an archery elk hunter now. He's showing how he eats wild elk with jalapenos. He's into it. He's a good voice for it. We talked about Jason Whitfield at the beginning of this, but... When it, when it comes down to the politics of our country and the, and the direction that our country is going, Ted Nugent, what would you tell somebody, let's say even younger than me, 10 years younger than me, 20 years younger than me, the stuff that's going on in Afghanistan, the stuff that's going on in D.C. right now, the things that are happening in the world right now, this is because of poor leadership, in my opinion, but how can we do this if, if, if what you say is just to stay on top of our senators, stay on top of our assemblymen, our state representatives? Is this all we can do? Getting involved with Hunter Nation. But what about the rest of the world that is affecting our families, too, and affecting our military and putting them in the harm's way like happened over the last five, six days? How, what, what do you tell somebody that's got the, the, their whole life in front of them, Uncle Ted, right now? What can we do? Well, number one, the manifestation of our cultural deprivation can be summarized in a single word. And I, I, I know it sounds like two words, but I think it's one word, spoiled brats. We are so soft. We have it so good. No one's ever turned on the faucet and not got hot water. Nobody's ever gone to the store and go, I'd like some raspberries. Well, they're right over there. We have two acres of raspberries. <laughs> we have everything everywhere and there's very little effort necessary. Now, I'm not denying the incredible man-in-the-arena work ethic of everybody out there. I know people from every imaginable walk of life, and boy, they kick ass. They work hard. They sacrifice. They take risks. Starting a business, the entrepreneurial spirit is alive and well, but it's being, it's being oppressed by a left-wing government where you, where you literally punish the hardest workers and you reward the non-workers. This, is, this experiment in self-government, I don't know when it happened. I was, I was born in 48, so I was still in the afterglow of World War II where good destroyed the evil Japanese emperor monsters and the Nazis. So that was a well-defined, irrefutable, globally celebrated good 
over obvious evil. It hasn't been that clear cut. And I think when uh, Dwight Eisenhower left office, I believe it was in 51, maybe, maybe a little later than that, and he said that the biggest threat in America isn't going to be communism or the Nazis or, or emperors. It's going to be the military industrial complex of America who are scamming us into oblivion. And now it is all these years later in 2021. And you watch uh, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Milley. The guy's a traitor. The guy thinks that the worst threat to America is angry white men. Not, not Al-Qaeda, not the Taliban. He said the greatest threat to America is white supremacists. Really? Can you name anybody that a white supremacist has killed in the last couple of years? I'll tell you. Do you think, you think any of the black children in Chicago have been killed by a white supremacist ever? Maybe last time was, I don't know, sometime in 1950. So you got a joint chiefs of staff that has bought into the globalist Marxist agenda. I've never seen such a threat to freedom in my life. And this president, this president is just pure evil. The entire Democrat Party, everything out of their mouth is just a vicious, treasonous, hateful lie. And it hurts to have to say that, but the evidence is irrefutable unless you're eating acid. So my, my battle cry has always been, freedom is not free. You have to be engaged. I remember confronting my children's school boards over the years when they decreased some nonsensical rule, and I'd go in and I, there was no such term as critical thinking, but I was critically thinking. I'm going, well, that doesn't make sense. I don't like that. Uh, and, and, I, and now with the masks, um, I'm standing up for my grandchildren. So I've proven in my own life, which is just an awesome life. I mean, if, I, if you came with me and closed the gate behind us on Spirit Wild Ranch or my Michigan Swamp, and you saw the people that I hunt with and hang out with and my band, my crew, perfect, perfect, perfect humanity hard work and they don't want anything from anybody. They want to work so hard that they can help others. They would never think of sleeping in. They like to wear themselves out. They like to be that man in the arena. So to young people, and I got a lot of young people on my Ted Nugent Spirit Campfire. I have a podcast multiple times each week. I've written New York Times bestsellers and I write for a dozen sporting magazines and I'm in the media every day. And I tell them, number one, if you want to be a force to reckon with, your mayor, your senator, your congressman, your governor, their offices have to know your name. And they have to fear your name. Not in a, not in a violent fashion, but in a constitutional accountability fashion. They, you, need to come, you need to call your mayor and go, I know I hear uh, some cities are calling for the defunding of police. Tell me you're not for that, because that's insane. Every time something stupid comes up, you call your elected employees and you let them know you know it's stupid. And you kind of scold them. I'm watching you. Don't fall for this crap. Don't let evil, violent predators out of prison based on some Chinese virus. I don't care if they get the virus. They raped the little girl. I wish I was there that day. You wouldn't even have to worry about prison. I'd have shot him in the head. And people, well, that's outrageous. Yes, it is outrageous. It's outrageous that the rapists get to get out to rape again. That's what's outrageous. Shooting him in the head is beautiful. 
It's good over evil. So I, I tell this, and I, I sell hunts every year, and they're all sold out every weekend in Michigan and Texas, and I get all these young people that love the rock and roll, and they got their first bow, and they got their first 30-odd six, and they want to go hunting with Uncle Ted, and we have campfires. And I spread the word to the best of my ability. But there's some simple things. First of all, HunterNation.org. Everybody should go there. We're putting boots on the ground and we're forcing conservative values back into policymaking. Believe me when I tell you that. Every city, every state's going to have a Hunter Nation guy going door to door to license hunters' families and going, are you registered to vote? Well, I'd like to help you. To... The other side does it. Only they, they write their own names down. They actually write the candidate's name and sign it. We're not going to do that. We're going to be legal. Wow, that's radical. Um, so HunterNation.org. You have to be a member of the National Rifle Association. If you're not, Nancy Pelosi thinks you're on her side. And you are. Gun Owners of America, your state firearms organization, call your game department. When the game department takes your tax dollars to hire a USDA hunter to kill lions and bears year-round with hounds and bait, but forbids you to hunt them with hounds and bait, you should raise hell what is your name? What, where, where do you live? I'm going to get all my buddies and we're going to protest. What do you mean you can get my tax dollars and kill bears and lions, but I can't? What planet does that work on? What is it, was it Nazi Germany? And meanwhile, the hunters in Colorado are going, well, well, there's nothing I can do. Ah, but maybe you should go to the, 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 uh, the, uh, the, the store and buy a spine. Uh, so you need to, the, we're doing damage control. Because I couldn't galvanize people. I started doing this around 65, 66. Not when I was 65, 1965, when I was like 17. And I was attacked for carrying a gun and killing deer. And I go, what, what, are you kidding me? Self-defense is perfect. Really? So unarmed and helpless, it, that's been beneficial under what conditions? And venison, you have a problem with venison? What are you, weird? So I was starting to fight back when these hippie rock and roll media people would attack me because once in a while my Smith & Wesson would print and they go, is that a gun? And I go, yeah, so is this. Do <laughs> you carry a gun? I go, no, I don't carry a gun. That would be like carrying a bullet. Um, so, so I was able to be, be funny and, and kind of witty about it because their, their attacks were so ridiculous. It was like Ed McMahon setting up Johnny Carson for a joke. And I took advantage of it. Plus, I'm from Detroit, and we have a cocky DNA anyhow. But the name of the game, Chad, get involved. Get with Ducks Unlimited and thank them for the amazing habitat restoration miracle they perform, but then scold them and ask them why they don't get involved with gun rights, why they don't get involved with varmint patrol like, like Delta Waterfowl does. We, you know, the, the conservationist organizations, Chad, they, uh, they have a really nice time. And they speak in such a way that they don't want to ruffle any feathers. Well, we don't really kill the ducks. We, we actually harvest the ducks. You're, you're not making any friends. You're, you're, you're candy coating it, and it's not honest. Um, so there's a lot of things. I mean, there's so many great conservation organizations, but I'm telling you, Hunter Nation is it for getting boots on the ground and getting candidates that will get our belief system into policy making. Everything else is superfluous. I've been working. I love 
Hunter Nation. Everybody needs to go to HunterNation.org and become a member and get involved. Before I ask your opinion of a couple people and before I let you go, Uncle Ted, Safari Club International has been doing a great job in my eyes. With uh, We've been working with them on a lot of this, the bear hunting bill that just got taken off of the docket in, in California again to outlaw bear. Um, what Laird Hamberlin is doing to get that ideology that a safari is an adventure, it's an, it's an experience, it's a journey. You don't have to go to one of the countries on the continent of Africa to kill the Dangerous Five or the Plains Gabe to be considered a, uh, on safari. Sure. So I think that they're doing a great job of getting that message back for the squirrel hunter, the rabbit hunter, the duck hunter, the white-tailed deer hunter, the, any, whatever you're hunting. So, I see Hunter Nation and Safari Club and DU and Delta and all of these – NWTF and Rocky Mountain – Mule deer, pheasants forever, and quail. I mean, we could go on and on. It's hunter sweat equity and elbow grease and financial means that make us the ultimate conservation. I see SCI and Keith Mark and you being the national spokesperson for Hunter Nation now. This is how we get involved. We keep knocking down doors and we stay transparent and we keep standing up for this lifestyle that's so special to all of us. That's what you mean to all of us hunters. And when I watch your book signings and been to them and been to your speeches and your seminars and NRA conventions or the shot show or wherever it was, the sportsman's channel dinner that you spoke at a few years ago in Vegas, amazing stuff. So kudos to you, but most of all, thank you, uncle Ted. Well, it's my pleasure. No, I was uh, attacked for being visible in the media for my hunting and my gun love. I'm a gun nut. Um, I, I just think guns are so cool. I can, they're almost as cool as guitars. Actually, I can kill dinner with both. My guitar is so vicious. <laughs> anyhow, anyhow, so I found myself all alone. Um, it, when I tried to get bear hunting legalized in New Jersey, I think I got six guys to show up. But there were tens of thousands of hunters. And when they were trying to ban Saturday night specials, I would go to committee hearings and I'd testify on the House floor. And people go, why would you need a Saturday night special? Well, because the language in the bill identifies Dirty Harry's 44 Magnum as a Saturday night special. What's a Saturday night special? So people who can't afford an expensive gun can't defend themselves? And so I had people squawking. I knew Jim's erratic. He thinks everybody should have a machine gun. Actually, I do. Um, but, <laughs> but so now is the time in this culture war to stand up and raise hell. The founding fathers sacrificed their reputations and their fortunes and their lives. We are at that Concord Bridge again. This really is a Concord Bridge. They're coming every day in the media, academia, the Democrats and the rhinos, how they can pass this so-called infrastructure bill when it's not, it's not an infrastructure bill, how they can abandon our people in Afghanistan and worry more about getting Afghanistan military-aged men over here, but not Americans. What planet does this happen on? So there's so many atrocities. You and I get our businesses shut down and our kids got to get an experimental shot and be, have a multiple masks, but we get millions of people invading across our border without any vetting at all? It's, this is planet of the cuckoo's nest. So if anybody actually cares, squawking amongst ourselves has been the bane of freedom. It's, it's why we've lost your mayor, your senator, your congressman, and your governor need to hear from you constantly. And when some, and I know it's hard, 
If you speak up, you get fired. And I know people have to make a living, but at some point, you just got to stand up. And if ever there was a time in my, I've studied history, but even in my 73 years, I've never seen anything like it, Chad. So number one, a salute to you. You represent us great. I watch your shows. You've got that spirit. You articulate the primal scream of harvesting the surplus and it's food and it's a renewable resource. All the scientific truisms that is the foundation of modern conservation. You do a great job. And I watch the Fred Eichlers and I watch, I watch the boneheads and I watch the, the Primos guys and I watch Jay Gregory and I watch uh, Levi Morgan. I watch all these shows. We have some great leaders out there, but none of you have ever been on CNN. None of you have ever been on MTV or VH1 or NBC or CBS or ABC. We need to have public relations. I would love to see Chad Belding get on CNN where they try to get you for, for slaughtering innocent ducks. And you just talk about Habitat and what Ducks Unlimited and Delta Water. I'd love to see our industry, SCI, should spearhead this. It's what Hunter Nation's doing. That's why I'm a spokesman, because I got the biggest mouth of all. And I can penetrate those people, even though the left won't have me on anymore, because I destroy them every time Every time they have to play devil's advocate. Because if you're going to argue with me, you would be on the side of the devil. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So, so we have a lot of uh, ways to go, but with Hunter Nation and with some of these uh, sporting organizations, I hope it's more about more than just fundraising and, and habitat. That's all critical, but it's now politics. These senators and congressmen and governors, if they can't stand shoulder to shoulder with you at a DU banquet, a shotgun, we need to get rid of them. That's a bad governor. Governors like Christy Noem and Ron DeSantis and and uh, and Oklahoma and Kansas, Montana. We have some great governors. Idaho. Uh, we got some great conservative politicians coming up. We need to get behind them. And that's what Hunter Nation, even though I'm not representing any of those people I just mentioned, but we need to get Hunter Nation members to be boots on the ground and learn how to call these people and put them under constitutional accountability. That's the missing link, why we're where we are in 2021. It really is that simple. We haven't raised adequate hell with the people who are supposed to represent us. So they've ended up not representing us. So well said. And, I, and our listeners will take it serious. And we have to by proving that we're going to register to vote yep. because we have to have that voice. And to hear that 66 percent of licensed hunters in the biggest state in the country don't vote blows my mind blows my mind and texans are tough guys they love their hunting but you know we get down to the ranch and they go yeah just son of a bitch here he's gonna try to end this and stop that and i can't do this and i go would you call me now but we better get out well call him oh get everybody you know to call him harass the hell out of them one of the coolest paying attention i swear to god I've watched it happen. I have done this for gun rights, for concealed weapons reform, for uh, legalizing Sunday huntings in a bunch of areas, opening up parks that were closed to hunting to look like a moonscape because of the habitat destruction. I've, I've been doing this since I was a teenager, but I'd like to get a whole army of conservatives and conservationists to become a loud voice that are putting pressure on the bureaucrats that they better represent us or we're getting rid of them. 
And that's what you and Keith Mark and HunterNation.org are doing. Yep. Hardcore, full-time. And by the way, Keith Mark, Luke Hilgerman, Kevin, the guys, boy, the sacrifices they've made, they've put their family, we've... We've invested in this. We're looking for members because we have to have boots in the ground. If they just hear from the five of us, if the senator and the congressman and the governor just hear from five of us, they go, well, just five guys. But if all of a sudden Joe McGillicuddy and Farnsworth Farnsworth, all of a sudden they're getting five or six, ten guys from their constituency, they have emergency meetings. They go, I heard from eight guys that want to legalize bear hunting. There's something going on here. What one of the the reason that I'm in the outdoor TV game is because of one person. I've watched your show forever, but I always related to one of our mutual friends, Michael Waddell. Michael Waddell, Michael Waddell is the reason I wanted to get into this because he always he whether he shot a one twenty one or a one seventy, he loved the hunt. He loved the camp. He he. I just loved the way that he executed. He is now taking a completely, he's transitioned into a junior Ted Nugent, which I'm so proud to say that he is speaking the truth more and more every day with his huge following. And he was the rock star of the hunting industry for many years. I watched lines of of 800 people deep, a thousand people deep to get this bow hunter's autograph. You're used to that because you're a rock star and a bow hunter. But this was a kid from Booger Bottom, Georgia. I was like, Michael Waddell's a rock star. And now he's a great voice. So I wanted to ask you your thoughts on two human beings that have been on this podcast before. One is Michael Waddell and the other one is Billy Gibbons because you're a great guitar player. You're one of the best of all time. Billy Gibbons is a great guitar player, probably one of the best of all time. I don't know that for a fact, Uncle Ted. I want your opinion on Billy Gibbons, ZZ Top, the late rest in peace, Dusty Rhodes, that happened, uh, uh, what, last week? Yeah, yeah. And give me your opinion on Michael Waddell and Mr. Billy Gibbons, please, or ZZ Top as a whole. Well, I'll tell you, both Billy and Michael are my blood brothers. And I was hunting with Billy Gibbons with some uh, Colt Python 357 Magnums over in uh, 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 Rock Springs, Texas, back in 76, 77, and 78, when we both celebrated that we're, we're children of Chuck Berry. I've toured with Billy Gibbons and the ZZ Top Boys. I just did a jam session with him here a couple, day, a couple years ago. And when they found Dusty Hill had passed, they literally called me right after they called family members, because I'm a, I'm a family member of ZZ Top. They're dear friends on a spiritual level, on a musical authoritative level. And the same thing transitions into Michael Waddell. He's the real McCoy. He's not only a lifetime hunter and a master of his craft, but he's also worked his way into the world of guitar playing. He loves his guitar playing. So when you have that spirit of the wild contact, and then it's augmented with killer guitar playing, I'm telling you, there's nothing better. In fact, I just happen to have. Hold on, Mr. Ted, Mr. Ted, hold on, please. Before we go any further, I want to apologize. I said Dusty Rhodes. I meant Dusty Hill because I've been talking wrestling also. But I want to apologize. Uh, Rest in peace, Dusty Hill. I love how you're part of the ZZ Top family. I did not know that Mr. Billy Gibbons hunted. I did not know that. I know that he loves the barbecue. He hasn't done it a long time, but he uh, he and I hunted a little bit back in the 70s. But bottom line is we both come from the... the the, the Chuck Berry room. We 
from that greasy blues guitar playing stuff. And he's a dear friend. We keep in touch on a regular basis. And Michael and I talk over the years. And he's made it quite clear that he's been watching me forever. And he realized that you just can't celebrate the hunt. You've got to promote the conservation lifestyle. And he's really come on strong. And that's a perfect example I was talking about. How great would Michael Waddell be in any media setting beyond the sporting media into the big world of media? What a great representative of the heart and soul, down-to-earth, grounded, conservation, hunting, fishing, trapping lifestyle. He's articulate. He's a, he's a lovable guy. He's a knowledgeable guy. And the most important thing that you have, Chad, and that, that Michael has, and all these guys that I was talking about earlier, believability. Your passion, your sincerity, your knowledge, your dedication to the craft is so believable. And that's the missing link in our industry. SCI should have a public relations arm. They should get guys like you and Michael Waddell and, and, and Craig Morgan's a great superstar country artist and a great dedicated hunter conservationist. Safari Club International should follow lead on Hunter Nation, and we should get out there and promote and celebrate what it is that we love because it's not about killing ducks. It's about optimizing the habitat for biodiversity. And again, I go back to how I have changed people's minds. Where do you think clean air, soil, and water come from? It comes from wildlife habitat. Who has been at the front charge the battle cry for optimum, healthy, thriving wildlife habitat, hunters, fishermen, and trappers. No one's ever said that other than me. So we need guys that are believable, passionate, sincere, knowledgeable, and live this lifestyle to get that word out. Every time we spend a dollar, trillions of dollars, for our hunting passion, air, soil, and water benefits. So everybody, including animal rights goofballs, they benefit from quality of life that we paid for and pioneered. But nobody's ever heard that before unless they heard it from me. So I'd like to see an army. That's what Hunter Nation is going to do. We're going to create an army of voices. And it can be just my, my buddies, my blood brothers. They can go to their school board meeting and talk about why there isn't safe gun handling in school. And I can tell you some stories about that. Why there isn't a conservation curriculum. Why isn't there a habitat curriculum? Why isn't there a hunter safety course in every school in America? But just think if we all spoke up, we could make it happen. 100%. One of the, I know I've taken up your time and I know that we're coming to an end and I truly appreciate it. We are going to do this again. And one day I am going to come like I got to invited down for this weekend. My friend Rocky's coming down from California to see you. But one of the coolest things that I've ever witnessed in live music was in 2000 or 2001, you were playing the outdoor amphitheater at a place called the Bally's Resort in downtown Reno, Nevada. And I remember you, it. you rocked it and you lit the arrow on fire with the white buffalo and you shot an arrow to a target, the buffalo. And I was sitting there going, looking at my friends going, can you freaking believe this guy, man? He's freaking badass. Like that is America right there. And it's cat scratch fever and the songs, the, the motor city, man, man. But it, most importantly, it's 
I think your passion for life and the way that you have taken all of us under your wings and spoke for us for so many years, you really are, Uncle Ted. You really do stand up for the military, for the first responder, for the rancher, for the farmer, for the hunter, the shooter, the Second Amendment, the conservationist. That's a lot of responsibility, Mr. Ted Nugent, and you do it with such ease and such knowledge and intelligence, and the way you speak is diligent. It's Maybe some would consider it confrontational or outspoken, but it's not. It's the truth. And you've laid down so much truth in the last 45, 50 years now that it's hard to keep up. So kudos to you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. And that night in Reno, when I saw that arrow fly through the air, I was a freaking huge Ted Nugent fan every day since. So it's been two decades. There's something very uh, attractive about the mystical flight of the arrow amongst guitar feedback and killer rock and roll songs. Well, thank you for that, Chad. It was a calling because I saw the confrontation against hunting and gun rights, and I was waiting for somebody to speak up, and nobody spoke up. Nobody ever shot back. Nobody punched back. Nobody pushed back. I'm going, well, next time I do an interview, I'm going to just talk about my weekend hunting, how cool it was and how great venison is and how much fun it is uh, to aim small, miss small with my 44 Magnum and blow up a, a jug of water. Um, because people in the interviews always ask me where I get my energy and where I get all this piss and vinegar. And it's because of the powers of nature that I live. When in between all my guitar firestorms, I'm a quiet, stealthy tuned in predator and it it keeps you alive and, and it also realizes that if somebody's attacking all this perfect conservation you need to punch back you need to crush them you need to embarrass them you need to let them expose their stupidity and then put a spotlight on it so i learned that when i was a, a young man teenager actually and so I've, I've i've got it down now where the other side won't even dare debate me because Yes, I, I absolutely obliterate them every time. I freaking love it. What an episode of the Foul Life Podcast brought to you by Hunter Nation. Join us at HunterNation.org. Listen to the words coming out of Mr. Ted Nugent, Uncle Ted's mouth. Is there any way I could talk you in to doing what you did that night on stage with Cat Scratch Fever? Just one riff of Cat Scratch. Please, Mr. Ted, can we hear it? This is Ted Nugent, Cat Scratch Fever. We're going out. Thank you, Ted Nugent. Thank you, Keith Mark. Thank you, Luke. Thank you, all the crew. Thank you, Donald Jr. Thank you, Hunter Nation. Get involved at HunterNation.org. I'm Chad. This has been another episode of the Foul Life Podcast with the one and only, the great Ted Nugent. This is Cat Scratch Fever. So you want the sexiest guitar lick in the world?